Welcome to the Boost Health Podcast, where we are searching for wellness balance. Your host is Paul Sandberg, a certified strength and conditioning specialist with nearly 20 years of experience in the health and fitness industry and degrees in human biology and business. At Boost Health, our passion is to learn and share new wellness tactics and help individuals create their own personal health strategy. Join us on this journey of being open-minded and trying new things. You can learn more at MyBoostHealth.com. Welcome to the show. Find your balance. 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 Find your balance. That is our goal here at Boost Health. Welcome to episode number 42 of the Boost Health podcast. Today's show features special guest, Rebecca Capelli. She's the director and producer of the incredibly powerful and inspiring documentary, Let Us Be Heroes. We cover a wide range of important topics in our chat, including what inspired her to make the film, her personal plant-based journey, food technology, being inspiring and motivating without confrontation, stem cell meat, eco and animal friendly fashion, how to save our planet, and much more. A couple quick announcements, and then we'll jump right into the show. Extra Boost. I'm currently beta testing a special members area on myboosthealth.com called the Extra Boost. In this members area, I will be able to provide additional fitness and wellness tips, workout videos, nutrition ideas, behind the scenes of what I do personally, a community forum, and more. Now, currently the members area is free and the Extra Boost Holiday Wellness Challenge is live. And actually, there's a few of you doing it already. It's great. I actually give you eight tips to improve health over the holidays. And I build in fun and accountability with your personal goal certificate and points tracker. If you want to check it out, just go to myboosthealth.com and click Extra Boost from the menu. It isn't too late to get started and have a healthy remainder of the holiday season. Boost Health TV, in case you have not heard, Boost Health TV has launched. There are now several episodes of the Boost Health podcast that are available on the Boost Health TV YouTube channel. I'll link to this in the show notes and blog so you can check it out. Newsletter, if you haven't already signed up for the weekly Boost newsletter, you can do so really easily. Just put your name and email into the form on the homepage of myboosthealth.com. That way you can keep up with all of the Boost Health news. All right, now here is episode number 42, how a plant-based diet will save our planet, our animals, and us, featuring Rebecca Capelli. I have a special guest on the show with me today, director and producer of the film Let Us Be Heroes, Rebecca Capelli is here. Rebecca decided to quit a successful career to work in nonprofit. Now, a public speaker, she delivers talks for free to help people adopt a healthy and responsible lifestyle. A French citizen and a Mandarin-speaking professional, Rebecca has lived in Asia for over 15 years, including Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and now Singapore. She works with various nonprofit organizations with the project Let Us Be Heroes to empower people to become a line of defense for their health, the planet, and the animals. Rebecca holds a master's degree in media management, in Chinese and culture, and a plant-based nutrition certificate from eCornell. 
She is on the advisory board of the global network, Vegan Leaders in Corporate Management. Rebecca, thank you very much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So this movie is fantastic. You know, you know, I love the film and you tackle so many different, really important subjects in the film. Um, so, you know, you cover plant-based eating and illegal fishing, animal-friendly fashion, the health of our planet, most importantly. So what prompted you to start this big project? Yeah, so um, about two years ago, I decided to quit my career to raise awareness and help people understand the impact of their food choices on their health, on the planet, and on um, our values, and which is essentially what we are doing to animals. And the reason why I chose to do it this way is because we, sadly, we live in societies where we all know someone who is struggling from a chronic disease or a chronic condition. Many of us have already lost uh, someone we love to such disease. And so for me, it, it was really important to, to start with health, but also to understand that basically the foods that are the best for our health are also the most gentle in terms of environmental footprint and in terms of, you know, the values that we uh, promote all the time, you know, about being kind and compassionate and altruistic. So I crafted these talks that I've been delivering for a year and a half. And something that I always think about is maximizing the impact. So I mean, I can go and talk to so many people in their workplace, you know, in their school, but ultimately, yes, I mean, I may talk in one year to about 500 to 1,000 people, uh, but nowadays, you know, you put a video online and then you can reach that many in just a day. So um, that's what really drove me to making this film. Well, as I said, you know, you know, I love it. I was so honored when you asked me to to join the discussion panel um, at the screening here in Hong Kong. It was it was wonderful. We had really good energy in the in the theater after the screening. We had lots of really good questions. I really feel like we were affecting some change. It was the first time I'd really been a part of that type of event. And it seems like this type of event is really good um, because it sort of adds this sense of urgency and action. Like when you watch a, a film like that. You get, you get inspired. I mean, you just can't help not be inspired. Um, and so I think it's good to have the opportunity for people to ask questions if they're sort of plant curious or thinking about making other changes to help the environment and themselves. So do you think you'll do more of these types of screenings? Uh, I mean, I'm hoping you do just because I think that they're, they're helpful. Yeah, as well, thank you for joining the panel discussion and joining us for the event. I thought it was really important to have someone like you who is really a great portrait of health and, you know, plant-based fitness. And you're really someone, I think, that can inspire a lot of people. And that's what it was important to have someone who is inspiring, but also who is breaking the stereotypes, right? Or, <laughs> uh, you have to eat meat to be manly, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so I think it was great. Screenings so far have been really good. So, um, yes, I plan to do more screenings. Um, but this is also subject to, you know, demand and whether it is relevant. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a festival in Singapore in a few months that uh, we're trying to have host a screening. I'm going to L.A. in uh, March and I would like to host a screening there. And uh, ideally, it's like the screening in Hong Kong. It's a mix of people who are already in the lifestyle and uh, some people who are not at all uh, into you know, changing or anything, because I, uh, my, my work is really to focus on people who are not exposed to the message. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We we had a good mixture, I think, of folks in the room with us that were sort of thinking about it or maybe not thinking about it at all. There were a few people that had already made the change, but still sort of waver. So I think that the message was was well received and it was going to the two people that that needed to hear it. Yeah, because you don't want to speak to a room of of believers, I guess, quote unquote already. You wanna you wanna reach people that that are, you know, mm-hmm. still haven't made that change yet. Right. And on that note, you know, I remember one of the things you said during the opening of the the panel. You said, or actually before you even screened the show, you said it's not an easy job to bring awareness on these types of issues. What, what exactly did you mean by that? Yeah, so when I mean it's not easy, of course it's not, it's also not hard or no, it's not difficult. You know, like the difficulty is being someone who is in a situation that don't have a choice. The difficulty is being part of the population that live on an island or in a coastal area and all your fish is being you know, fished out by you know, illegal fishing vessel from the European Union, or the difficulty is being an animal in a factory farm today, or mm. an animal from a free range farm on the way to slaughter. So uh, what I mean by difficulty is not about complaining at all. It's just about obviously delivering a message that no one wants to hear because <laughs> we don't like to change and people don't like to, you know, be reminded of really what is the impact of of, uh, of their purchase and especially with food. Food is so intimate, it's cultural, it's social, you know, it's really important. Um, so this is something that is very, very sensitive for a lot of people and I'm sure anyone who has transitioned or who is transitioning is getting a lot of pushback from friends and family around. So a message that is difficult to deliver in this way because there's a lot of topics I think that you can advocate or work on today that are very important but that people don't feel so defensive about let's say if you talk about zero waste if you talk about reducing plastic if you talk about sustainable fashion um, people might be open to it or might not but you don't have the level of um, you know defense mechanism that we face when we talk about food for instance so um, yeah so I think this is why Delivering a message that is difficult in the sense that people don't want to receive it, don't want to accept it. Um, we have to be excellent and we have to be better at delivering it and sharing uh, the awareness. Yeah, and I'll, I'll cover this you know, later in our talk, but I just I want to hit at home that what you did a good job in this, and I'm not sure exactly what it is about it, what the essence is about it, about it not it delivers the message in a way that makes you feel inspired and makes you feel like we need to do something now though. And, and, but it's not like in your face, you know, um, there's definitely some, some different ways to attack it that I've seen that are, you know, if I was not plant-based and I wasn't even thinking about it, I would be sort of put off, but I think Mm -hmm. you did a really good job of sort of making sure people understand that, you don't really want to sit around and think about this for the next five years. The time was really now, but it's not um, it's not confrontational. And I'm not sure if that was an objective you set out with initially with it, but it's in my opinion, you really accomplished that. Yeah, thank you. Well, it is it is fundamental, and this is something that I constantly think about as well. So we can discuss that later on in our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't think I actually know this. Um, even though I've gotten to know your story pretty well, I don't think I know 
your plant-based background, like how many years ago you started and, and, you know, what the transition was like for you? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in France and my family, we always ate whole foods. Um, so I never, we never had frozen food. My mom cooked all the time, but we had a lot of meat, dairy, and eggs as part of our diet. So this is really something that we grew up on and it was always the best, you know, meat or the most free range and organic that you could find. Um, and I would say I was probably the biggest, not just meat eater, but animal products eater of the family um, after my dad. And, um, and I mean, I mentioned in, in, in the film and I mentioned my talk sometimes, but my, my dad passed at the age of 57 of brain cancer. And knowing what I know now, I just saw him, you know, eating foods that were aggravating it instead of fighting the disease. Mm -hmm. So this is something that is really important to, to share to, so that people understand that we have a choice. But my background was really, you know, I was a career girl. I did several degrees. Um, had a good career because I was also driven by the need of getting out of a very bad situation, financially speaking, because when I, my dad passed, um, you know, it was just my mother. She was a young widow with four kids and it was really tough. So, oh, wow. yeah, so I was really driven to, to get in a situation where I could feel secure financially. And I, so yeah, so I had several degrees. Um, I had a quite a good career. And I was in sales by the time I, I, I quit it. Um, but I was eating, you know, eggs and bacon in the morning, although I'm not American, but I got perverted along the way. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, I was having, you know, like cold cuts. If, I, if, I, if you came to my house on a brunch, I, you would have tons of cold cuts and cheese and bacon and eggs and fries. And yeah, that would be it, right? right. Um, so that, that's where I was at. Um, but at the same time, I think there was another part of me that I possibly suppressed for a long time. Um, that was the more about empathy, about caring. And I think we all get to a point in our lives where we understand that there's something wrong with the world. You know, there's something that doesn't add up. And you grow up learning about, I don't know, world hunger. And you will grow up learning about, you know, disease and all this stuff that makes you feel really powerless and violence, for instance, as well. So I was living in China for quite a while uh, when I adopted my first dog, uh, Oneda, and he was rescued from dog meat. And this is really something that I, that I was really shocked to learn because if you've been to Shanghai, it's a modern, vibrant city, and it's not a city that you would expect um, in any case that people would eat dog there. And, um, and anyway, so... I rescued dogs and cats from the streets uh, for many years, and I think that really gave me a, more a sensitivity around animals that I had since I was a child. And, um, well, the full story is about three years ago, uh, basically someone um, back in Europe adopted a dog, and um, they weren't really responsible owners or guardians of the dog. The, it was a female, she got pregnant, and because the people were not in a good situation financially, uh, they decided to take her to take an abortion. Mm. This is something that was really shocking to me because, well, number one, I didn't know that vets perform abortion on dogs or animals. 
Um, and I tried my best, but I was 10,000 kilometers away. And I tried to say, look, you know, you cannot do that. At that time, I just had my baby myself, my daughter. Uh, and I was trying to explain that, you know, animals have feelings and you can't just take a dog, you know, with a big belly to the vet, remove her, her puppies. Oh. I know it's very, it's very, very casual. And uh, so anyways, I, I lost that battle. So the dog was taken to, to the vet. And for me, that episode was so violent and that really shocked me into consciousness. And that's something that instead of feeling powerless, like I may have felt before, I decided to rise and I decided to do something about it. Because I realized that most of us, uh, we don't create suffering or violence because we're bad people, but because we are not aware, we are not conscious. And, you know, for matters of convenience or whatever reason we have, um, that are quite, you know, self-centered most of the time, we do create a lot of suffering. Animals are extremely vulnerable to our decision. So I decided really, I mean, on that day to become more conscious myself and to try my best because, again, that's what is going on, what's happening to the animals, but it's not the only thing. And for me, it was about grasping the immensity of the violence that is, exists today on planet Earth and removing myself from this equation and thinking, I'm going to try my best to bring more peace, to bring more light uh, in the best of my own capacity. And I was sitting at a Japanese restaurant and I was eating, you know, pork belly and chicken and beef scores. And that was it. You know, that was the awakening that pushed me into becoming vegan overnight. So I ditched meat, dairy, eggs overnight. Um, fish and what we call seafood about a month after that. And that was really about, you know, making the connection. Um, when it comes to, again, what we call seafood, which is really sea life, I remember this episode where uh, we were traveling to Thailand on the beach and there was a, a shrimp farm uh, not far from the beach. And you would get some shrimp that escaped the farm and they'd struggle, you know, on the sand, on the beach. And mm. my instinct as you know, since I was a child, would, would always be to take the shrimp and put her back in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So that was really about reconciling. This is my instinct. This is what I want to do. And why would I go to a restaurant and have, you know, some shrimp cocktail after that? Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. One thing I've noticed, and this was like, what, three or four years ago for you? That Three years ago. Three years ago. Like okay. So, So my question for you now is, it seems for me, I want to know if it's the same for you. It seems just effortless. It, it's just what it is. The, the, the plant-based diet. I mean, like I don't really have cravings for animal products anymore. It's, it's really just about like five years ago is, is my story. I just started creating new systems and things that I cooked and you know, your body just follows along. Your inflammation starts reducing. You just start feeling better and your new normal just sort of changes. You know, my point is that, you know, it's not like we're some masters of willpower, you and I, Rebecca. I think it's really just like you sort of make it through that initial wave of whatever it is. And it's different for everybody. For me, it was a couple of days of really bad headaches from probably from the dairy. Um, I think I was probably just addicted to dairy, most likely. Got through those first couple of days and then it just gets to be so easy it, it, and you just feel good all the time. If you have any sort of inflammation in the stomach, at, at least in my case, it's that's abnormal. That's strange. Like I, sh I usually just feel energetic and great all the time after I eat. Um, is that your experience as well? Is it similar? Yes, of course. So I think 
for me, I didn't really have health problems, but I guess you don't know how bad you were feeling until you feel really good. <laughs> That's so, true. You know, yeah. when my new norm became, wow, you know, I have this energy all the time and I never have, you know, whatever brain fog or food coma or anything like that. Um, then I realized, okay, then in retrospective, I can see how I was not feeling so great and I would have, you know, low blood pressure once a month. I would have, yeah, I would be in bed the whole day, not being able to do anything. Um, you know, little things that I didn't think were very significant, but when they went away, I, I was really thankful. So yeah, I agree. It's really effortless in the way that you just start replacing the pleasure you have with certain food for other foods and you still enjoy you know different recipes and you eat well and you feel good and then your body the communication with your body is re-established and then you can your body can really tell you what's clean what's not what's healthy what's not and so it's just a matter of listening to yourself and you don't even want the i cannot want for a second what i used to eat before yeah. And I wonder if part of it too is like, you know, we're learning more and more about this crazy thing called the microbiome and how there's more neurons in your gut than there are even in your spine. And so I think that there's, you know, when you're feeling good all the time, it's your body, you know, sort of reestablishing what that uh, environment is in your microbiome. And, and we know that if you're eating lots of vegetables, that is creating an environment that is much healthier for your gut. Uh, than, than animal products do. So I, I wonder if that's part of the reason why it's just, you know, your body's saying, this is better. <laughs> Keep doing this. Of course. And I think that the other thing is your body is not constantly trying to fight some inflammation, not constantly trying to yes, clean out course. something that is really bad. So finally, this energy is free to do something else, you know, to heal and to perform better and all that stuff. So yeah, it's really, uh, you have to, to really feel it and experience it, I think, to to accept it. Yeah, somehow. yeah, I know it's for somebody that's on the fence about it, it, it's it's hard to explain that to. But yeah, if you give yourself, if you can just sort of commit to, I would say even just a week, I think they would probably feel the difference that quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the best would be a month because then, you know, our taste buds have a memory of about three weeks. Mm -hmm. And when we just wean ourselves out of some food for that time, then our taste buds and palate change and to the point where our cravings become different. Like very quickly, my cravings became very different. I started to crave sometimes broccoli or a fruit or something really fresh, which never happened in my life before. All right. Nice. So we heard that audience, Rebecca's laying down the challenge for you one month. You give it one month and you'll, and you'll feel great and, and the cravings will go away. I think that's a good challenge. That's big January that is coming up. So it's a big campaign. Each January it's global. Uh, you sign up for free and you get free, um, you know, content on a daily basis. You get um, insights, information on nutrition, health, fitness, but also, you know, environmental footprints and you learn about the animals as well and you have tons of recipes and help. So veganuary.com, uh, that's definitely a great challenge to take and try for one month. Oh, that's perfect. You know, it's a good time of year, um, at least in the US. Every, I mean, the crowd, most crowded the gym will be all year is in January because everybody's got their New Year's resolutions. Yeah. They're going to go to the gym and then sort of fall apart. So that would be really nice alignment with sort of New Year's resolutions for people. 
I'm sure that's probably part of the the strategy yeah. with the timing of that. All right, we'll put that link in the show notes and blog for everybody so they can go check it out. That sounds really cool. Um, so I always like to ask this uh, fellow plant-based eaters, what are some of your favorite plant-based meals that you either prepare or, or go out and eat? Hmm. Um, so it's very different. You know, I, I mean, I eat very differently today than I was eating three years ago. Hmm. Yes. So... For me, what I, I mean, I enjoy a variety of cuisine and uh, my husband is Italian. So Italian is really a big uh, part of what we cook or what we have when we go out. So, you know, anything from a, a pizza or, you know, um, spicy pasta. Um, I mean, that this is something that we really go, um, go for. I love a Mexican plate, you know, mm, so yeah. with salad but also some guacamole and you know whatever seasoning you like as well so this is something that we really enjoy um myself these days i eat very simple um i'm eating a lot of fruits i'm eating a lot of uh, very large and mixed salads uh, and i'm eating mostly raw and being based in singapore that's also i mean that makes it a bit uh, more easier uh, of course yes um but uh, yeah, so these days I'm more I'm eating more raw, uh, but I, but that's because my body wants that, and I'm listening to this, and I've been wanting to to eat more raw for a long time now. So um, yeah, that uh, I love uh, anything potato. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> baked potatoes, baked sweet potatoes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're putting a um, a Christmas dinner together. I'm looking forward to have. Uh, we're gonna try to make some pumpkin. Um, dumplings as well, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's, I mean, it's endless. There's so much more combination of, of eating. Yeah. I mean, you, you can do anything you want really um, with, with plant-based cooking and, you know, there's more and more resources coming out all the time. My friend here in Hong Kong, um, Lisa Tarucci, she was on my show uh, last month. She has a, a plant-based restaurant called Confusion and um, I just had my 40th birthday surprise party uh, on Saturday. I had no idea it was coming, but she made a plant-based chocolate mint cake. <laughs> it was decadent and it had uh, really nice like mint leaves on top and fresh fruit. And oh, it was, it was absolutely incredible. But my point is you can do just amazing things with all of our, all the information that we have and all the resources that we have now. Birthday, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Uh, you know, and one of the people we had on the panel, one of my heroes is, was David Yang, who, you know, is working tremendously well um, here in Hong Kong and beyond with sort of, it's almost like bridging the gap for folks that are, you know, trying that plant-based lifestyle with, you know, the Beyond Burgers and stuff. And, you know, it's much, it's much easier now than it was even three years ago for you or five years ago for me to sort of work those things in to sort of help move things along because yeah, I've, I've had really good veggie burgers and I've had <laughs> some that are pretty dry and not so great. So you want people to have good experiences as they try to transition. It's nice to see, um, more and more companies are starting to realize that that's going to be a market and people are putting money towards the tech food industry of, of facilitating more plant-based options. That's right. And what's really, what's really impressive is that I mean, all of my friends who are basically still, you know, behaving like omnivores, um, they all love the Beyond Burger. They all love 
you know, the Kind Kitchen by David Young and, you know, all the plant-based dish, but the plant-based pork, etc. Like they, they all love it. So it's really a, a good sign. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I mean, even if we're not moving somebody 100% over, which of course is our main goal, but even just doing that part of the time is 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 going to disrupt the industry quite a bit, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> exactly. And it's also about showing people that it's okay. You know, for me in the past, I used to think that eating healthy meant having steamed broccoli every day. And I was, right. I was really scared. I did not want to do that. Uh, but actually what you realize is eating plant-based, you have a variety of whole foods. You enjoy all kinds of tastes. You can go to a Japanese restaurant, to Lebanese, to French. Well, French is a little bit more tricky. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you can enjoy all kinds of food and your favorite food in a plant-based version. And so I really love seeing more products being available again. What's neat too, you know, is how nutrient dense it is most of the time. I mean, as we always talk about, you can be a vegan and eat like garbage as well. But a lot of these, like again, my friend Lisa's restaurant, we took our friends Adam and Chrissy there. And, um, you know, my friend Adam is, he's like a big, strong guy like me and his plate, you know, didn't have a ton of food. Like he would normally be used to seeing if you got like a plate of spaghetti, it'd be like a huge amount of spaghetti or whatever. I can't remember exactly what he was that he ordered, but he ate it and he's like, I cannot believe how full I am. Not like disgusting. I'm way over full, but he was like satiated. Like I actually really enjoyed that. I feel good. I feel full. I don't feel like I need more food. Um, mm-hmm. So I think people will be surprised by that too. It's like, okay, when you're eating, you know, leafy greens and beans and rice, you you really do fill up fast, faster than you think you probably would if you're, you know, just looking at something on a plate. Right. So, so these, these friends that I'm talking about, um, they actually just watched your show, your film. Um, and so they're very dear friends of ours and they've sort of been following along with my journey the last five years. So shout out to Adam and Christy. They just watched your film and they said, well, now they're going to change that. That's what inspired them. I was like, what about me for the last five years? I've been talking about this, but so, um, so I just want to give you props for, for, for inspiring some folks that have sort of been on the fence for a long time. Um, so again, it's that sense of urgency. I think you do a good job of creating that. What, what do you think it is about the movie that, that is making people respond like this? Yeah. So, um, Outside of what I do, my, one of my main focus and passion is really looking at quantum physics and energy. And one thing that I think we can all agree on is wherever we focus our attention, this thing is going to grow. So the more we focus on something, the more energy we are giving to this thing. And for me, that's something that has always been since day one, um, very important in my advocacy to focus on what could be versus the what is so i do talk about the current situation you know the millions of people that we lose to chronic disease the 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 very sad stories that we have behind that Um, i do talk about the destruction of the planet i do speak about you know what we are doing to animals but my focus is on what could be it doesn't have to be and it's about building relief and moving um an audience from these two points, from the what is to what could be. Mm-hmm. So Nancy Duarte actually has a great TED talk on this, on the structure of great talks, and I incorporated this formula in uh, in the film. Um, but also, as I said, you know, it's about focusing on the solution. And 
one other thing that I do that is, I think, quite important is I always say we. We are doing this to the planet. We are doing this to the animals. I never say you. Mm. So for sure, it's been three years that I removed myself from this equation, but at the end of the day, we're all in this together. And I think this way of speaking is also, you know, speaking to people in the different ways. So my work essentially is about reconnecting with the heart. Um, no matter what we want to say, um, we all have a heart, we all have emotion, we are emotional creatures. And although we live in societies where we uh, praise the intellect uh, a lot more and facts and numbers, we connect with stories, we connect with people and we connect with emotion. So I really think that you can tell someone what to do and a hundred reasons to do these things but if they don't make the connection in their heart, no, you know, they're not going to change. So my work is really trying to reach that. And I'm speaking from my heart to other people's heart. And I think everybody featuring the video is the same as well. Um, it's not about coming from a judgmental perspective or accusatory perspective. It's about, okay, these are the facts. This is what we can do. And listen to your heart. If your heart is telling you something, listen to it and see where it takes you. So I think ultimately that's why people are touched and inspired to do something. That's beautiful. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It, it, as you spoke about that, I was thinking about the different sort of parts of the movie and how you brought it together. And that's exactly what it is. It's not about shaming people and making them feel guilty about no. what they're doing. It's about we can do this together. It's like a team. It's like, hey, you know, we're yeah. we're a, a team together. You and us right now. Let's all do this together. And and so I think that's what gets people fired up. They're like, hey, I can be part of this, and yeah. you, you know, and, and get people excited. And that I think that's exactly what what it is. I didn't realize that until you just said it. That's perfect. Well, there you go. Um, I think it's very important also in terms of images. Even when we speak, I mean, there's a little bit of difficult footage because it is necessary for us to you know, become more conscious, but I would say 80%, 90% is what? It's beautiful food, it's beautiful footage of the planet or animals. And I think this is a good way, and I'm not saying it's the only way to, um, to talk about this, this topic, but I think this is definitely a good way to get people on board with trying and opening their minds uh, to it. Yeah, I I heard John Joseph on Rich Roll, and he's a character. He, and he's he's actually him and Rich were the ones that inspired me to plants because they're sort of athletes and guys, guys, and and it's okay. You can still be a tough guy and and not eat meat. And John talked about not pouring water on a on a spark, but fanning it. And I think that's exactly what what you're doing versus a, a different approach, which is. Hey, you say you're vegan, but you know, you still haven't gotten rid of all of the leather in your apartment or whatever. Those those types types of things. Maybe some people respond to it, but I think you're gonna reach a bigger audience when you go, hey, that's really good how you've moved over to a plant-based diet for the last six weeks. Keep going and here's some things that have worked for me, versus shaming them for maybe wearing leather shoes or something like that. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's this today I think the movement is quite I mean, despite what we want to say, like, I think it's quite young and quite immature in some way. So I'm not saying that, you know, we, we need all types of advocacy. You know, I support activists who actually stand up, take their time and, you know, protest. I, I 
support all kinds of activism, but we also need to ask ourselves, is that the most efficient way to use our time? When I leave this conversation or this encounter, is the person leaving inspired and turned on or turned off? So for me, I want to be very clear. Like I'm not someone who, uh, you know, thinks that baby steps is enough. We need big steps. And this is why everything I work on is called Let Us Be Heroes. It's not Let Us Be Babies. Let us be, you know, <laughs> taking a, a one meal a week. You know, no, we way past that. And what is at stake is so important that we need to take these bigger steps. Now, that being said, I mean, I can see how we all different in our way to um, approach change. Some people take decision and overnight, that's it. And they're very happy and comfortable that way. A lot of people prefer to take steps. And um, if I take the example of my husband, who's definitely a man's man, he started with a soy cappuccino, you know, and again, like for an Italian, it's a big step. And he didn't die from the soy cappuccino, right? He didn't die. He <laughs> for two days and then, and then he felt better right away. And I think that was just the, this dairy milk that he was having, just removing that, that is really, really small, that really made him feel better. And then... That encourage him to take more steps. And now he's, you know, he's a proud vegan and he's super happy and he feels good. He cycles, you know, hundreds of kilometers and stuff and he feels great. So I think just acknowledging that we are different in our ways to change and the best way to transition or change is your own way. I think that's really important. And ultimately it's about making a difference. So there are people who are never going to be inspired by, by, you know, what we do and by what we talk about. And that's okay. Meaning I don't have time to focus on that. You know, I, my time is dedicated to those who want to make a difference. We only here to build the foundations for people to build on that and then build on that to get to a better world. So, um, there's no magic formula. Um, you know, there are some very in your face message out there that have made tremendous difference but I think what is important is to have a variety of voices where people can identify themselves differently yeah I, I agree with you 100 percent and um, I've heard once that you're not going to change what somebody believes like their belief system is not going to change unless their own experience changes now what causes their experience to change is yeah. obviously different for everybody for you and me we both got inspired by something very dramatic and sad with both of our fathers passing away from cancer. We hope that that's not what has to be inspiring to other people. We're hoping that our personal stories and your film and our own messages are what inspire people, not, you know, five years down the road when something sad and dramatic happens to them or some of their family members, potentially. We're trying, everybody. We're trying to, we're trying to give you a little bit uh, of a different way to attack it. <laughs> I wanted to talk about um, there's you bring up some really important facts in the film um, that I'm not bringing up to be scare tactics. I'm I I think one of the things you inspired me to do, Rebecca, was you know one of the things I always share is everybody responds differently to different things, and I want people to try. Most important thing I think I teach is to be open minded, and so yes. I want people to to hear a couple of these facts and be open minded to what they can do to, to help. Yeah. So one of the things is our broken food system. You know, you brought up the, the fact that we feed 70 to a hundred billion with a B land animals for slaughter. 
And at the same time, we've got, I think it's 800 million people starving in the world. So, you know, that's, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Like, why are we doing this? I think we're just addicted to, we addicted to flesh and to dairy and to all that stuff. And it really prevents us from questioning our choices. And most people don't know that, you know, we also grow in an environment where we told that this is what it is, you know, people are starving. It's sad, but it's life. People are sick and dying. It's sad, but it's life. And so when we told this enough, we accept it as again, being part of life, but is it? No, it's not. No, it doesn't no. have to be. Yeah. I I, I think you're exactly right. It's people just assume it's what is like, oh man, if they could just get their government together or if we could just build some programs with yes. the UN or whatever, then then we can fix it. But there's actually something really simple we can do, which is just move more people to eating plant-based and then we're going to have more land to, to work with and, and to help feed people with. Um, I, you know, I know a lot about, I'm from Kansas in the Midwest. And so I know a lot about, you know, farming basics, but I didn't know this about the, the dairy system. So they actually take the baby calves away from the dairy mothers, dairy cow mothers within 24 hours of birth. And one of the saddest things in your film, but that I think people need to be aware of is like these mom, mama cows are chasing after their babies while they're being taken away. It's, oh, it was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 So and this, is standard, this is really standard in the U.S. Actually, the footage from the film comes from a film named uh, Dominion, and it's shot, shot in Australia. Mm. Uh, but it's happening everywhere across the board, in France, in Europe, you know, like in Switzerland, etc. 97% of calves are actually taken from their mothers within 24 hours of birth. Mm. That's, it is a reality. So, you know, where my head goes with this, I'm not sure if it's the point that you were trying to make, but we've got a lot of really well-meaning vegetarians that are still eating a lot of dairy and you know the the dairy portion of plant-based or excuse me the dairy portion of animal food is not necessarily as harmless as you might think it is is, is kind of my point yeah so it's it's not for the animals but it's also not for our health and um, i will share with you um, the contact of one of my friends, uh, his name is Adam Guthrie, and he was a vegetarian for almost 20 years by the time he had a heart attack at the age of 39. Oh my gosh. And, yeah, so I think he would be actually great uh, on your podcast. Based in Australia, basically what happened after his heart attack is that he embraced a whole food plant-based diet and he went to do an Ironman a few years down the line. So he transformed wow. his health around, very inspiring. But yes, I mean, dairy, essentially what I'm trying to tell people is that the products that cause violence and cause the destruction of the planet are the same who destroy our health. So we don't have to make different choices for the planet or for the animals or for ourselves. We just need to embrace one, one way of living that is actually the best for ourselves. And dairy is one of the most acidic, you know, so-called food that we can consume it's high in estrogen, it's high in growth hormones, even if you take the best case scenario, um, it is absolutely horrendous what it does to our body. And I think when we remove dairy, this is where people notice the biggest difference. So anyone struggling with hormonal you know, imbalance, um, you know, we look at breast cancer, ovarian cancer, prostate cancer, these are really linked to dairy and there's a lot of studies out there um, that associate the, the type of cancers with, with dairy products. And um, 
I think it's just our responsibility to look into it and decide for ourselves and try, as you say, you know, be open-minded and try. Yeah, I think that's the case with me. Just as far as like performance and how I felt, it's hard to know for sure because I, I'm like you. I said tomorrow's the day, and I, I had, I didn't eat meat or dairy at all anymore. But I, and I, the basketball that lived in my stomach went away quickly. But I have a feeling that's probably what it was because I, I think about it. I was, I was having regular milk. I was having chocolate milk. I was having cottage cheese. I was having yogurt because um, I needed all this protein. You know, it's very much like the the young gentleman in your film. Um, and then I did the exact same thing that he did, which was, okay, well, I was having all of this protein from dairy over here. Soy it is. And then <laughs> I found out very quickly that me and soy didn't get along very well either, but, uh, it, you just don't have to do that. It's like I shared at with the panel, you know, when I ran the numbers, I only needed 62 grams of protein a day for somebody my size and, and my, at my activity level, there's some important touch points in the film, um, a couple more facts I wanted to share with people that, again, I've been studying this for a while, but I wasn't aware. These are from the University of Oxford. Uh, and they concluded that if we had the entire world, or well, let's just say this, if an individual switched to a plant-based diet, they would reduce their own individual carbon footprint by 73%. I mean, you you could drive, let's say you drove like a dump truck every day and had like the worst, you know, uh, vehicle that you could have for emissions um, yeah. and you started driving an electric car instead, that would be spectacular, but it wouldn't be 73% of your carbon yeah. footprint. It's, I mean, that's obviously that's right. the best thing that you can do. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, just today, Lewis Hamilton, who is plant-based and have been plant-based for a little bit now, he shared on his uh, social media, he shared a picture of... Uh, um, a mother pig and piglets that are in the dumpster that was discarded as part of, again, animal agriculture. And you can see in the comments that there are people who support him for speaking up, but there are also people, you know, pointing fingers at him and saying, hey, you know, but what about, you know, you're driving cars and you're a Formula One driver, you know, you're a hypocrite, etc. like you use jets, etc. Well, the fact is that raising animals for food contributes to more greenhouse gas emission than the entire transport industry. So more than all the planes, the cars, the trains in the world. Um, that's one fact. The top five meat and dairy producers emit more greenhouse gas than ExxonMobil or Shell or BP, the top oil producers. Wow. Um, and that's just greenhouse gas. So I, this is something that I think there's a confusion today um, as part maybe of a little bit of greenwashing between greenhouse gas and climate change. Climate change is not just greenhouse gas, it's also the overconsumption of water. It's also, you know, how you use the land, how, you know, the, the amount of deforestation. Raising animals for food is responsible for five times more deforestation than the palm oil industry. Whoa, I did not know that. My goodness. It's big, you know. Um, it's responsible for creating these oceanic dead zones in the oceans. And so when you look at just the footprint, it's a leading cause of wildlife extinction, etc. So the list goes on. I think um, we, um, we ought to educate ourselves. I think Cowspiracy is a great film mm -hmm. to watch to understand more about the environmental impact of our diet. But yeah, back to the land. It takes, I think we need... 18 times more land to grow uh, food when we eat animals because the animals need to eat and the animals need to you know, be there on the land, right? 
So it's uh, it's just an industry that doesn't make sense. Um, I have friends who are extremely rational people, not emotional at all, don't care about animals, but just for that reason of being rational and consistent, they're becoming plant-based because it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense to use all this water, all these resources, when people, again, in, in many countries where this is happening, people are starving next door. This is not normal. And this is not an industry of the future. This is, I don't know, this is like something that snowballed out of control the past few decades, and uh, it needs to stop. Yeah, I think the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one beef cow um, through their lifetime will require 11,000 gallons of water. And we obviously have a, a worldwide issue with water. So that's, I mean, that's just one, one fact. And to your point about land, um, the fact, uh, this is also from the University of Oxford, that we would, we would reduce the land that we need for uh, farming uh, by 75%, which is, the, <laughs> it's the size if you take US and China and Australia and Europe and combine them all together, that's how much land we would get back if we if we switched everybody in the world to plant-based, which probably won't happen. But just think of the percentage of land we could get back if we're not having to use all of that for, for land animals. And I think we need to speak also about supporting the farmers because these are people who are struggling in dying industries. They're getting bailed out from governments from the subsidies. So, you know, in the U.S., for instance, there are billions of subsidies going to meat, dairy, eggs, um, but very small percentage going to fruits and vegetables. Now, look at switching that, that ratio, making, you know, fruits and vegetables more accessible and more affordable to everyone helping farmers transition and transform their business, you know, to a plant-based business because, you know, they're not making a lot of money themselves. You know, the only ones making money are the big, big industrial groups and, and factory farming. Um, but the farmers are struggling. They are, they have a high rate of, you know, suicide. Uh, the workers in um, slaughterhouses have a, they all have PTSD. This is one of the highest turnover people you know to the point where there's a very big shortage of people willing to work in slaughterhouses and it's just ultimately it's it's not good to anyone so it's really about moving from away from this circle of violence to embrace a more peaceful and natural way of living yeah uh, yeah absolutely how could you not have ptsd and working in that environment every day i mean that just yeah i, I don't know how, how you could do it honestly um I wanted. I just saw an article about this on LinkedIn a couple of days ago. Actually, I wanted to get your your take on it. There's this new stuff called lab grown meat, where they actually take stem cells from animals, um, and then they feed the cells salt and sugar and blood, and they actually will grow. Uh, I think this is their goal is to grow a meat product. And their defense of this is that they're actually obviously going to save you know, space and having to, you know, have a whole bunch of animals roaming the land. So it seems like it's a little bit of a solution, but it doesn't seem like it's necessarily that great for the animals that are involved, right? Yeah. So I think that trying to find uh, solutions that don't involve slaughter or cruelty, um, they are, to my knowledge, I think that there are already some innovation that requires zero cruelty and zero slaughter. Um, and there's this company, so Just, that launched the Just Mayo and Just Egg, that is launching also a chicken meat that is made from just, you know, 
few cells from a feather of a chicken. Wow. Uh, so this is pretty impressive, I would say, in terms of you know science and advancement. Yes, it's much better, of course, to not slaughter and not kill. It has a greater environmental footprint, of course, because you don't need all these resources. Um, you have control over you know anything from, of course, it's going. You don't need antibiotics. You don't need all these nasties that are pumped and injected into, you know, the the animals. But, um, and I think this, I mean, this can be helping in a way people to transition away. I, I, I don't know, to be honest. Right. I think right. it's very early to tell, but I think it does nothing to solve our health crisis and our addiction. So the problem that we have is not just, of course, the violence that we are creating and the destruction of the planet, but it's also that we are in denial of who we are as a species. We are not meant to eat meat. We are not meant to have dairy. So even if you make it, you know, uh, grown in a lab, etc., it's not going to help you for preventing heart disease. It's not going to not trigger cancer in our body. Uh, just the same as if you take the most pristine, you know, slaughtered animal out there. So it's not for me. It's not a real, uh, a real advancement of, uh, of what we could be doing because it's finding a way to do differently what we are already doing whereas we should really move to embracing the foods that we are meant to eat and eating just more fruits vegetables and you know investing in and in making it delicious and affordable and accessible to more people so that that's my take on it really yeah that's a good point i hadn't really thought about that um, where you've got people that may be trying to transition, but you're not going to sort of have that clean break where you're removing the addiction piece of it. Like if, if you have some addiction to meat, let's say, you may not ever really get over that unless you sort of have that clear, clean break where today's the day where I'm not going to have it anymore. I think that's a good point. Um, I think that that was important for me, at least I'm sort of an all or nothing guy. <laughs> Uh, type A personality. Um, I really needed that day. And I know it's September 12th, 2013. Like that's the day that I just stopped eating animal products. And that's the day that I started feeling great. And so I would, for me and, and, and I shared all of my biometric data because <laughs> that's just the kind of guy, like I really wanted to know this is the day that I changed. And these are all the things that I, I wouldn't want all that noise, I guess. Um, making it sort of unclear about what, how it's affecting my body from, at least from a uh, performance standpoint. It, it just doesn't make sense. Right. So yeah. I, you know, if people for transitioning, if, if people really want to transition, I think it's much better to go for a palm based burger or just, you know, if, even if you don't go for a beyond burger, just go for a nice beetroot, mushroom, oats, whatever, like lentil bean burger that is out there, for instance, uh, these are going to be more healthful. And even I would pick, honestly, a Beyond Burger in terms of health way before um, lab meat. Absolutely. And that, because now I know what animal protein does to the human body and I know what all the saturated fat, you know, does to the human body as well. Um, I think it also, there is a risk that it perpetuates our addiction to flesh and does nothing to to change it so i don't know let's see what happens i think it's definitely exciting that more options are becoming available and that we are going this direction personally i'm not a big fan of tweaking nature yeah. you know i think nature does things in such a wonderful way and 
the more we stray from it, then the more problems we get. So. Yeah. Well, I, I've talked a few times about this sense of urgency that you've helped create, um, I think, for for sort of newbies into the plant-based industry, but also for, for me, um, or newbies to plant-based diet, I should say. Um, so for me, it's it's not just about my performance anymore. Um, one of the things when I started Boost was helping sort of share things that I've learned about everything wellness, really. And, uh, and hopefully people would sort of grab 1% here and 1% there and sort of build their own wellness curriculum. So I've, they've heard me talk a lot about plant-based eating, but one of the things that I've been inspired by with you and Christina is thinking about what I wear. You know, I, I, as I mentioned before, I'm co- completely vegan from a diet perspective, but I still have like the pair of leather shoes in my closet and those, and this has sort of helped me think about maybe taking that next step. But I really don't know that much about it. And I don't know if you could help me sort of understand, like, what do I need to know about like eco-friendly design? And like, I, I've heard the term upcycle clothing, but I just don't know that, that much about it. I have like my own boost stuff that's, I know they're synthetic fabrics. I need to learn more about how they're created and stuff like that. And if there's companies out there that, that make performance wear that's, that's eco-friendly. So I don't know if you can school me a little bit <laughs> on some of that. Um, so again, my work, I focus really on food choices because I think this is really the gateway to becoming more conscious about everything else. So I think it's great that uh, that you mentioned that in the film. I have my friend who is a designer who talks about the use of animals in what we call fashion. So it's really about, it, it's a really personal choice in the way that if you already have that, you're not creating more suffering by wearing it until it's, you know, it's completely used. So it, then it becomes really a, a simple personal question is being, um, how do I feel about it? If you start feeling self-conscious about it, then yes, maybe I, it's time to listen to yourself and look at it. And I'm talking purely from using animals, you know, and their skin and, you know, for shoes, bag, belts, etc. So there's a lot of options out there. Um, I think, uh, but it, it's still, it's still the beginning. So in the next few years, we're going to see more. I think for athletic wear, it's very, uh, it's, it's much easier. So animals is one part and then is how it's made. And if, you know, is it made ethically? Uh, what is the impact on the environment? What is the impact on people? So one thing that I really encourage people to do also is to watch the true cost. I don't know if you watched it. It's about... Mm-hmm fast fashion and the environmental footprint and the, the, the impact really on people true cost um, the true cost the true cost yes. okay we'll put that in the show notes and blog watch and and ultimately it's about i think reviewing our consumption we don't need to buy so many things we don't need to own so many hmm. things and we don't need to you know if it's cheap for us, it means someone and something is paying the price along the way. So I think a lot of people are confused and, and say, oh, but you know, if you go for vegan leather, it's made of whatever synthetic stuff and it's worse for the environment and it's plastic, blah, blah. It doesn't have to be. Nowadays, there are companies that are ma- making really great fabric. And I think this is where lab-grown leather, lab-grown whatever, like products are going to be making a difference uh, because when it's going to be more available, uh, nowadays you can have great pairs of leather shoes for men or women 
that actually breathe, that are not painful, that are not, you know, bad on the environment and that look great. So um, there's definitely some, uh, some improvements, but it's about taking the steps uh, towards that. I think learning more about a brand, um, you know, whether in terms of values, but also what happens to the people, where it's made, etc. I think this is something that we, we all have a responsibility as, a, as consumers to educate ourselves and maybe go to, you know, buy secondhand or, you know, upcycle fashion and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's a good point. So it's not just about the end result of the product, like what is the actual fabric or whatever, but it's also looking back into how it was created, even if it's made with fabrics that are animal friendly, maybe the way it was made wasn't ethical. So there's a couple steps there. Did you say, um, did you say lab leather? Is there something that's going on with that? Yeah, it's happening. So there are some companies in the, I think in the US and probably elsewhere that are creating um, fabrics like in lab. So that's really uh, high tech. There are also companies making leather-like products out of mushroom or pineapple or all kind of wow. you know, infected sources. So it's really interesting. And um, yeah, so it's just fabrics that are a lot better for for everyone and for everything. That's really interesting. All right, I'm inspired to learn more about this, and I'll I'll share it with my audience as I as I go along. I think that's really cool. I think my angle, or I guess where I'll probably start first, is with understanding how we can do this for athletic wear. Like, can you can you build something that is sort of the whisk whisks away sweat? Um, and performs yep. really well that stands up to to demanding athletes needs but it's still good for you know animal friendly and also created properly i'm sure they're out there i just yeah, need so to research it <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know the specifics about this but i do know that there are businesses and fashion brands that are making now i think winter clothing that is you know high tech and that is better better material etc um, and of course, there's a lot of swimwear lines that use actually recycled fishing nets. Really? And wow. So this is out there. And I'm, I mean, I don't know, again, the details, but I'm sure it's happening. If not, you know, get on it. There's so much, you know, there's so many opportunities actually to, to make something great out of, you know, a problem that we have with all the waste in the plastic. Yeah, that's, oh, that's really smart. I like that. Um, I just read an article. Um, about you yesterday on Live Kindly. Um, and I was interested to hear more about what you said. So you said that sometimes when you're doing one of your presentations um, and you've, you've, you're a great speaker uh, and you've done a lot of different talks to lots of different companies like LinkedIn. So you've, you described like sometimes you'll be doing a, a talk and you'll see somebody in the audience and they look sort of angry or frustrated with something. But sometimes that's the person that in your experience is actually getting, they're doing their research. They're getting close to transitioning to plants. Um, so I guess I, I want to hear your take on this, but it seems like we should be aware of, we might be inspiring somebody when we don't even realize that they're yeah. close. Right. That's right. So I think it is one of the most humbling teachings that this path has, you know, has given me uh, because before I started speaking, well, number one, I thought, Nobody is going to like my message, but I have to deliver it anyways. And actually, most people really enjoy the message. And most people, 80% of people attending my talk on average, uh, are willing to reduce the consumption 
of animal products. Well, you said 80%? 80%. Oh, yeah. that's congrats to you. And I think it's the way you deliver it. It really is. Yeah, yeah probably. And, um, and I think, like, again, people are just, once people become more conscious and more aware, then they realize that they have a choice. And I think it's also already in them. So there's that. Um, but one of the other things is before I started speaking, I thought, okay, if I speak to a student or people who work in a cool tech company, um, it's going to be great. Uh, or if I speak to animal lovers, it's going to be great. Uh, but if I speak to, let's say, people who work in more conservative industries, um, it's going to be more of a challenge. And that's not true. And I love that I was wrong. And I love that this is so humbling to think that I was putting a judgment before experiencing it. But what I have been experiencing, and you know, I've, I've been delivering these talks now for a year and a half, about 40 times, so quite a number of times. And um, yeah, sometimes the person in the room that looks at you a certain way. Um, I remember in Paris, I spoke to my, so to my friend Rim, who is a designer. And there was this, uh, this man who's a very Parisian French man in his 50s. And I'm here standing in front of him and telling him all the bad thing about cheese. And he's looking a bit <laughs> funny. And, um, and I keep going, but I felt like, wow, he doesn't like the message. It turns out that this man that weekend watched all the documentaries that I recommended. He had two sons at home that were struggling with asthma and he was the most open person of the audience wow so it's really you never know i spoke to bankers uh, private bankers so you're looking at people in singapore in their you know 40 50s and, and yeah 40 to 50s very traditional industry and they loved it so much they invited me to come and speak to their other office location um, i had this banker this this woman who came and said oh wow, you know, I have teenagers at home, they've been wanting to be vegan, and I've been forcing them to eat meat, and I feel bad, so what can I do? Can you give me recipes? And so these were among the most open people. So I think really what I'm trying to say is we never know what journey someone is on, you know? So we never know who is in front of us. We don't know the background story. We don't know what they lived and how they may respond to. So for sure, uh, I've inspired people that I didn't think I would inspire. And on the opposite, I spoke to a SPCA once um, and I thought, wow, this is going to be easy, you know, people who love dogs. And some people turned their back uh, on me, on some people from the audience turned their back on me that day. Wow. So, because the, I don't know, the, the defense mechanism was so high. and it, So you never know. And uh, it's a matter of, you know, speaking and sharing. And I think it's very beautiful to not just inspire someone to do something, but to transform their lives. If you're touching someone who's going to take their health in their own hands, you know, you're going to help a family. You're going to help maybe their community. You're going to help maybe them to reach out to someone who's very influential, who's going to reach more people. So this is why I, I think it's important to always keep doing it and uh, be open-minded, as you say, just stay open-minded. That's, yeah, that's really well said. And I think that, you know, at least what occurred with the screening that I was a part of, not because I was a part of it, but because we were addressing the next step, because you could make the most beautiful, heartwarming, inspirational, motivational film in the world 
um, and there's some of these out there, um, including yours, where, okay, I'm inspired. I've got to do this tomorrow's the day, but you have, where's my tools? And I, I was like, I had been a personal trainer and wellness coach and I'd worked in population health management. I had a lot of tools available to me and I really mm. struggled for a while when I switched. So I think that that was one of the good things about the panel and hopefully you're able to continue to do those. I think LA would be a great place to do it um, is okay. You're hopefully inspired now. You're hopefully motivated now. Here's some people that have done it and here's some tools because I think, yes. I think that's an, a really important component of uh, helping people take it all the way through. I mean, you could make action the next day and, but not follow through just because you're like, okay, well, what, what do I eat? And do I really need to replace all of my dairy products with soy? You know, it's just, um, I, I think as you go along, if you can continue to offer that type of environment for people to, to have tools to take action, I think that'll be really helpful. And I know you've got links on your side and that kind of stuff that should help. So for me, I mean, I could, I could improve, um, you know, the content and all of that, but uh, on my side, I really focus on the why on people to learn more. And so I, mm -hmm. I offer more, you know, resources, documentaries to watch, you know, uh, links, etc. because I think that when you sort out the why, then the how is easier. Yeah. Um, and uh, by the way, there were a couple uh, in the audience that day that were super inspired and they took a, a vow, like a pact. They made a pact at the end of the screening to go plant-based together. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Accountability yeah, that's partners. Perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and so they've been cooking already. They've been posting on their Instagram and all that, that stuff. And it's, it's really, really nice to, um, to see. So yes, I mean, providing the tool and, so that there's nothing to lose, really. There's nothing to lose. I think we are really in a in a world where everything is accessible right away. Everybody has access to internet. There's all kinds of resources on you know being vegan on a budget, or you are an athlete and you know you need a meal plan, or you want to reverse type two diabetes. You know what do you eat? And you know all that kind of stuff. It, it's available out there. We just need to take the time to learn about it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean. You could have you could have the best tools in the world too, but if you haven't made that decision to do the work that's required, it's still going to fail. So yeah, you have to take ownership and accountability. I love that accountability partner um, story. That that's a good tool right there because that's something we talk about in fitness all the time. Is you know you're not only going to perform better, but you're going to you're going to be more likely to just do the work that's required if you've got somebody there that is doing it with you. I think that's wonderful. It's a cool story. Well, I've had you a long time. I want to just ask a couple more questions and then we'll uh, let you go, Rebecca. Um, you you obviously have a strong understanding about wellness balance. And I'm not just talking about like when, whenever you say wellness balance, people automatically think about, oh, well, how do I balance my family and my career but or life work balance? Mm -hmm. But that life piece, I always joke, the life piece is the big part, right? That's your spiritual and emotional and social. And so how do you personally find your wellness balance between all the different dimensions and in, in wellness? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So one thing that I really need to be uh, careful about is self-care because, I mean, I'm doing this, by the way, I'm doing everything I do for free. So I'm out there, I'm taking my time, I'm going to speak to people. And yeah, there are people who are not going to be inspired. And I never know actually right on the spot the exact impact 
you know i have messages from people you know months later or years later like i had a message one year later for a talk i given like at linkedin in hong kong and but i didn't know that so for me it's really important to stay hopeful and optimistic because i'm in this for the long run and i don't want to to be depressed and stop doing it because if i get into a burnout i can't do it anymore then that means that we have one less person advocating for change and so self care no matter what we do actually is really important so i learned to slow down i learned to so for myself i think meditation is really important uh this is something that i really uh enjoy and you know sometimes you know there are some days where it's challenging and it's hard but just taking this 10 minutes or 15 minutes to slow down and go into this uh, meditative state uh, i love meditation i love uh, i'm actually practicing um reiki sorry practicing uh reiki myself as well which is a, a healing and self care modality and this is something that is very beautiful um but ultimately i think it comes down to focusing on the good and i try daily actually for the last 7 years i try daily to focus on the good so it doesn't mean that i'm naive and ignoring the bad or anything but i stopped watching the news the mainstream news a while ago i only focus on uh, and only follow social justice uh activists because first of all their their report is a lot more accurate and important um in a way and also it's it's focusing on solution and action which i enjoy whereas the news is something that is dumped on you and it's overwhelming and it's dragging us down yes uh, i don't think about what the world would be like if we had news about all the good things you know all the good things there's someone doing something amazing somewhere the solution um you know the change that is happening what would the world be like if we had this news every day if we would be inspired to do more instead of being scared and overwhelmed and passive right so i stopped watching the news i stopped also watching all kind of violent content i can't i just can't you know uh, i don't watch horror movies i don't watch you know thriller about killing and and that kind of stuff like for me that's really polluting so self care and what we are inside is not just what we consume in terms of food but it's also what we consume in terms of media and images so yes. not spending so much time on the screen if possible getting out in nature if possible spending time with animals you know whether they are dogs and cats or you know going to a sanctuary these are all things that contribute to well-being spending time with family spending time doing what we love so there's a whole range of things Uh, but i think it's extremely important today that people get more in, in, into that because we see more and more illnesses and 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 problems that are just a result of us not taking care of ourselves and once we start doing that once we accept that we are worthy of being healthy and happy then everything else falls into place it's very well said and it's so true and i want people to know this about you too rebecca it's not like you just take it easy and meditate and you don't get things done you got your movie done in what was it 22 days yeah that's that's, that's <laughs> so you don't you don't make a film like this in 22 days unless you're a go-getter so you've figured out a way to be productive which i always talk about people look at me kind of like what do you mean productivity is a part of wellness it absolutely is because it means you know how to incorporate 
working hard with balancing out the other piece that we don't do a very good job of, especially in Western society, which is, you know, activating our parasympathetic nervous system with things like meditation and earthing or grounding. It's so important. I yes. did. Uh, I went for a jog with my son yesterday. <clears throat> I usually get up early on Sunday and go for a bike ride uh, with my buddies, but I had my uh, 40th birthday surprise party I mentioned earlier on Saturday. So we didn't get up early that day. Um, but I, you know, I was just like, I want to get something in. I need to get my steps in. So I went for my son's eight. We went for a jog. We ran on the beach barefooted and climbed rocks. And I was like, oh, this was probably, I probably would have done more caloric burn, I guess, if I would have gone on that bike ride. But what, what I achieved from a overall wellness perspective with spending time with him and having fun with him and getting down on the planet and putting our bare feet in the sand. And that was probably so much better. So I think you have a really good point about paying attention to the different dimensions of wellness and, and, and just deciding, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to try to control this by, by slowing down a little bit. We really need to. And that, you know, we are, you and I, and a lot of people that probably will watch that and listen to the podcast, we are privileged in a way that we have a choice and we have a choice over what to eat. We have a choice over sometimes our career. We have a choice over what to do this weekend, etc. And I think we really have a responsibility towards those who don't have a choice to to try to make the most of it, you know, and try to to, to care about ourselves and try to then think also about others and how you know, everything else with, that we consume, how they can have a, a better impact, possibly. Yeah, beautifully said. Well, I'm curious. I know you're working hard with Let Us Be Heroes, but you're not the type to just be working on one thing at a time. So I got to know, is there anything that you're thinking about or working on already for, for another project? Yes. Yeah, so, um, I mean, you mentioned I did this in 22 days uh, with Abby, who is my cinematographer. And... It was very effortless and it's the first time in my life that I do something where all the energy is beautiful, it's supported, people help me left and right and I felt that that's quite special. So that really encouraged me to do more and I think I'm realizing that maybe I'm quite good at it also. Uh, yes, you are. <laughs> no, but you know, like I'm, I think it's important to, to leverage on our strength and I'm realizing that, wow, okay, actually I can do this. Yes. So. Yes. Um, so I do have another project, long feature. Um, I'm aiming from a big production, meaning not, I don't want to do something that costs so much and that takes, you know, five years, six years in the making. I'm looking at two years or under two years if possible. Um, but yes, I do have a project that is around climate change and animal rights, um, to reach more people uh, again. Um, I'm hopefully going to, I would like to put together a trailer by, let's say, May of next year. So oh. within six months, I want to have a trailer out uh, with possibly a crowdfunding platform. But I'm going to go after some, uh, I'm going to try and find a producer to help me with, you know, raising funds for that. And uh, I'm very, very excited about it. I think, you know, when you have a project and it's burning inside you, when you have images and flashes and visions that it's it's happening so i'm going to follow that um, and when i think about it i get almost emotional so which i know that this is the right thing for me to pursue so oh that's okay. exciting i'm happy for you and i know we'll all be following closely and be yeah. excited for watching for something this summer from you 
Um, let us be heroes before we before we go. Where can everybody go to make sure they go check out the film? Because the film is free for them to go and watch um, and learn more about you. It's available on YouTube. So let us be heroes YouTube. And um, we just passed 100K views in about three weeks. All right. Nice. Yeah. Um, and it's also available on Facebook as well. So same, let us be heroes and you can find it. And so, you've got a, a website too, right? Uh, is it letusbeheroes.com? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So I have a website and uh, there's a trailer on the site and the link, hopefully. Yes, there is the link to, uh, to, to the film. There's also the list of uh, resources for people who want to learn more. Um, and so anyone can feel free to connect if you are in Asia or even beyond. And if I happen to be traveling by, by where you are, I'm happy to come and give a talk to your business or your school. So, you know, just contact, get in touch. Thank you all very much for listening to the show today. I hope you're feeling motivated and inspired. I know I am. Thank you so much to my special guest, Rebecca Capelli, for joining the show. A few things you can do to help boost out if you would be so kind. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast in your podcast app. Leave a review on the Boost Health Facebook page. Subscribe to the Boost Health TV YouTube channel and follow My Boost Health on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can also visit the Boost Health website at myboosthealth.com for links to everything along with more motivation and information. Until next time, this is Paul Sandberg for Rebecca Capelli saying goodbye and find your balance.